0: Vance Chancel Choir under the direction of Mrs. Debbie Briding with soloist Lindsay Six. Scripture today um, is from the book of Ephesians, the fifth chapter, starting at the eighth verse. For once you were darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of the light is found In all that is good and right and true. To find out what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what such people do secretly. But even exposed by the light, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For everything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Sleep or awake, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And we go now to John. We've been hearing these kind of character studies that John does, and they're chapters, they're each chapters long in the book of John. The first one we encountered was Nicodemus in the third chapter, then the woman at the well in the fourth. And now in the ninth chapter, the first 41 verses, we hear the story of the man born blind. As Jesus walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. Jesus' disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned that this this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while, the day, while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when Jesus said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying, "Go wash in the pool of Siloam," which means sent. And then he went and washed and came back able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, "Is this not the man who used to sit and beg?" And some were saying, It is he. And others were saying, No, but it is someone like him. And he kept saying, I am the man. But they kept asking him, Then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, The man called Jesus made mud and spread it on my eyes and said to me, Go to Salome and wash. And then I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made mud and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also began to ask him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and then I washed and now I see and some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. And he said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he see? And his parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but we do not know how it is that now he sees. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. So for the second time they called the man... Who had been blind? And they said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered, I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. And the man answered, Here is an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born entirely in sins, and are you trying to teach us? And they drove him out. Jesus heard that he, they had driven him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, And who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said to him, you have seen him. And the one speaking with you is he. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, I came into the world, into this world for judgment so that those who do not see may see. And those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him, Surely we are not blind, are we? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would not have sin. But now you say, We see. Your sin remains. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, whose fault is it? Who is responsible? Who is the one to blame? Reasonable questions when things go wrong. And Jesus' disciples are primed. They see a man who was born blind. Somebody must have done something to make this guy blind. Something bad has happened, and surely somebody has to be held responsible for it. Who is to blame? Who's responsible? To whom can we point a finger? Jesus, this man born blind, who who did this? Was it him or was it his parents? And note very carefully, in this whole long, took me five and a half minutes to read this, 41 verse text, Jesus never bites on the question, who's responsible? Never one time does he offer an answer. He moves on to something else. But he doesn't answer. Whose fault is it? It's interesting, isn't it? There was a woman that I knew who was a very, very well-known Presbyterian campus minister, one of the best in the whole country and I I interviewed to be her intern one time and I always said of her thereafter that it was the kindest job rejection I ever received in my life. She was wise, wise, wise and people would just clamor to study with her and she, she said to me once that In all her years of ministry, she believed the toughest thing that she ever encountered were people coming to her and and wanting to know why. Why, God, why? Why do bad things happen? And so when Jesus' disciples come and say... Who's responsible, God? They're, They're in some ways priming themselves, prepping themselves for what they know is going to happen. Jesus is going to send them out into the world, and they're going to have to minister to people, and people are going to come up to them and say, why? A primary barrier that happens between people and the belief they might have in God is this notion that bad things happen. And we need in our spirits someone to blame. Now, Jesus' disciples were also primed because the theology prevalent in the day said, somebody sinned if something bad happened. Either the man, his parents, community lived in, somebody, once again, has to be to blame. Jesus doesn't bite on the on the question. Jesus spits, and I, I do like. I like the notion that Jesus spits. You know? Sometimes we make Jesus to be so high and mighty and divine and all of this stuff, and Jesus was all of that, but Jesus was also fully human, so Jesus spits. And he makes mud and he presses it against the man's eyes, and his eyes are opened. And he sees for the first time in his life. Can you imagine what life must have been like for that poor guy? That poor schmuck of a beggar who spent his whole life doing nothing but saying, Help me, help me, help me. I'm nothing. I can't see. I can't work. I can't do anything but sit here and beg. And all of a sudden, his eyes are open, and he can see the color blue, the birds in the sky, and the glory of God's creation. And we don't get to hear in this story any of that stuff because the story is so obsessed with the notion of who's to blame that the poor guy gets dragged twice into the synagogue in front of the Pharisees. Who did this? First of all, who made you blind? And second of all, who made you well? Now note something important in this text. They don't bring the man into the synagogue with anybody. The first time he goes in and tells them what's happened. And they go, "Mm, okay, that's weird. Let's find somebody who can tell us what really happened. So they call for his parents. Now, Parents, a lot of people in this room are parents. If you had a child who was disabled, born blind, sat in the street and begged day to day, and all of a sudden they could see, wouldn't you want to know that? Wouldn't you be jumping up and down celebrating every little thing? that your child could see finally? Remember the church organist in the church I was in in Nebraska talked about when she was 12 years old, she got reading glasses for the first time. And they were driving home from the ophthalmologist's office, and she looked and she realized that the green blobs that they were passing were trees, and that those green things on the green, on the, the green blobs had these little green things on them called leaves, because her vision had been so bad previously that she couldn't even see leaves on a tree. And her parents were so excited and so sorry that they had waited so long to get her eyeglasses. man's parents weren't with him. They had to call for them and wait for them to come in. And here is my supposition of why that was. Because everyone around them believed that if something bad had happened to their son, either it was his fault or their fault, and they were so shamed and disgraced by that notion that they had nothing to do with him and nothing to do with the people who were making those accusations. Shame is a powerful force in our church and our world even still. Ask any survivor of sexual assault there's a whole phase they go through but the phase starts out with it was obviously my fault it progresses to maybe it was his fault okay I wasn't to blame but somebody was if we get it right as we work with them, they get to a point where they realize maybe they weren't responsible. I saw it all the time when I worked with gay kids, especially in Missouri, because they came to the city, to the university, from very, very, very small towns all over the state and Missouri, when I was working, there was plenty backward state. And these kids had been shamed beyond belief from their parents, from their schools, from their communities, from their churches. Whose fault is it that I'm not like everybody else? That's a question that's huge and deserves an answer. But Jesus in this text never gives an answer. Jesus in this text just offers healing and hope. The people in the synagogue are so frustrated with that that they have to ask three times, What really happened? And yet Jesus heals. Jesus offers his very best to those people. See, it's God's very nature to care for us, to take care for us, to want the best for us, to offer us healing and hope and goodness. And while it's important to figure out who's to blame and what we can do about it and who's responsible because only if we come to that point can we confess our sins and find greater wholeness with God through forgiveness. First and foremost, we must must remember that God wants what is best for us. Amen.